how are you? Hey, I am, I'm doing great. I had a week of work Ooh. after we got back from vacation. And then I went camping for a couple of days with my college roommate and his family. And we love to camp together. We love to play games together. And we love to go to the beach together. And we got to camp at the beach. And whilst camping, we played games. And our world is complete. So it was great. And I just got back earlier today. That's awesome. Sounds like a good weekend. It was a great weekend. But how about you? How are you? Man, I am doing great. Uh, we have been home from our trip with you guys a couple of weeks, and we have already purchased the game Dominion, and my son is slaughtering me at it on a daily basis. But it's still great because we have something to do together that's fun. So I am loving that. And I'm loving the fact that today is the first day of school for my kids. I know that shows the difference between when we record these episodes and when we release them. But it's what's really going on for me. It's the first day of school. We're getting into the routine. And I am a giant routine fan. So I love that. That is, this time of year, I love to settle into routines. In fact, it's so funny. You and I, we started our podcast way back last July. And we knew that we were probably going to launch right around this time of year. And so we said, oh, let's do an episode about fall. And it was one of our practice episodes that never actually went live, but it was all about this very thing. Like we get to this time of year and we love to settle into routines and we love to like have the first fire of the season. And like, there's something about fall Mm -hmm. that is just so special. Mm, Totally agree. Totally agree. Especially, uh, this is such a weird practical reason, but I burn a large percentage of my trash because I don't live in the city anymore. And it is a pain in the neck to burn your trash when it's 103 degrees. But it is glorious to burn your trash when it is, say, 55. Yeah. Something about huddling around that fire when it's just that right temperature is just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I don't think you called to talk about fall today. What did you call to talk about? Well, so there's this great phrase out there that we've used on the podcast before, which is stop shooting on yourself. And some might find it a little crass, but I find it just catchy enough to help me understand what I should or shouldn't be doing. Um, And this idea of Mm -hmm. stop shooting on yourself has actually really come up in my mind recently because I would say for the bulk of of my spiritual walk, my the bulk of my Christian life, I have operated out of a sense of should or obligation or I need to be better at blank, right? And mm-hmm. it has really been in the last couple of years that I'm starting to live out of an open invitation from God to partake, to join in, to delight. And that Mm. sense is growing even further, and it's been really enticing and really exciting. And I've realized, especially as I've transitioned out of seminary, and now I'm heading into the counseling program, I've wondered what my spiritual rhythms and my relationship with God would be like. And I'm very shocked, honestly, and pleased to find that it is an invitation 
and I'm in a much more responsive place with God. And so I want to talk about this contrast and maybe even from an autobiographical standpoint of living under the life of should and how do we transition out of that and into a better, healthier relationship with God? Is there anything we can learn about our own experience in that regard? That's so good. You know, my story is very much like yours. I am an obligation person on the Enneagram. I'm a six, which means I'm a follower. Deep down in my core, I like and feel safe when people put expectations and obligations on me, and I will break my neck to try to follow them. And I have been in a very similar place both over the last couple of years and in this most immediate season of my life of noting where should is the driver rather than desire being the driver. And so I would love to talk about that. It's interesting to me that you start off thinking about this autobiographically. What is your sort of chronological starting point with this? Do you have a either a an age or an earlier a memory or where does the timeline start as you look at this autobiographically yeah it's funny because what really drives this is the path out of should and that's where i can actually identify some markers should mm. pr- prior to that it just seems like that is how I've always responded to the spiritual life. And it's just my default setting. And I honestly want to talk about this because I'm surprised to find myself in a new place. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm in my early 40s. Can we figure out how we went from should to something better than that? and unpack it a little bit so that other people could do this earlier in life than I did. Mm. And so I'm actually interested to discover my own story as we talk, and and I'm hoping to learn from your story as well. But no, I can't point to anything specific. I just would say I operated out of should or ought. And let me try to define that a little bit. I think most people are familiar with feeling that sense of obligation, but Let me just be specific. For me, I should pray more. I would hear about people being prayer warriors or, you know, spending time in prayer, or I'd hear, like, I have so many things to do today that I can't help but spend the first four hours in prayer or whatever. And I would just take that as shame. That was just, oh, I'm not measuring up. I'm not good. I really should be better about praying, but I'm not. Or, People that had a daily Bible reading routine, and I was like, oh, I should do that. But man, I'd be embarrassed to admit how irregularly I read my Bible. Or I should tithe, or I should evangelize, or I should study the Bible, not just read it, but study it, or I should, whatever. Everything about the Christian life felt like something I should do and wasn't doing at all or wasn't doing enough of. And that's just how I experienced it. How about you? Can you point to something more definitive for your in your own story? Well, let me pause for a second because I think you hit on something. I think it's more than just a sense of obligation that we're talking about here. You said something a moment ago, like, you know, you gave all these spiritual examples 
which raises one important question for me about how much of this is tied just to the spiritual life and how much of it is tied to other arenas of your life as well. Mm. Uh, So let me ask that first. Is this primarily in the spiritual practices arena or is this everywhere for you? I would say it's primarily in the spiritual practices area. And maybe okay. it's maybe it's because of this. I grew up in a Christian school and at a church and I always had parents that were highly involved in the church if not on staff in some way, even a worship pastor for a time. So I am not a PK. I would not associate myself that way and I don't want to like present myself that way, but I knew the Bible pretty well through my private school education. So I had kind of a leg up on my youth group friends. And in the youth group, I was kind of looked up to one because I was taller than everybody, um, <laughs> b- but also because my folks were who they were in the church. And so there was this sense like that I got from the very beginning, I should be knowledgeable about the Bible. I should be ahead of other people. Or And so if somebody was ahead of me, it caused me to feel shame and guilt because I felt for whatever reason that I should be at that level, period. Yeah. And this is the other thing that you mentioned the previous time as well. It's a sense of obligation. And the first time I think you used the phrase, didn't measure up. Hmm. And you said the same thing just a moment ago. It's this comparative sense. And every one of your examples was a comparative thing, too. I'd hear about somebody praying and think I ought to do that. I'd hear about somebody spending time with God and or evangelizing and think I ought to do that, too. I'm wondering if the should in this sense is rooted in these two things, this sort of comparison and this sense of not measuring up. I wonder if I'm hearing that right. Yeah. I mean, comparison for sure. I don't know if not measuring up is quite right. Sure. But it's funny because there's a big piece of me, this is embarrassing to even say, but there's a big piece of me that feels like better isn't enough. You have to be the best. And so Mm. when you say not measuring up, well, that's true in some cases and not in other cases. Depends on who I'm comparing myself to. But it is this idea of comparison nonetheless. Yeah, that's I resonate with this a ton. We used to have these games in Sunday school when I was a kid, and they were uh, reverse sword drills. Did you ever do these? I did sword drills. I'm not sure about reverse sword drills. So the teacher wouldn't read a a reference. The teacher would read a verse, and we would have to figure out where it was. Mm. And it taught us to pay attention to everything from writing style to theme to literary style to all sorts of things, which is it's brilliant. And it's very hard. And it's not like anybody got it in 30 seconds. You'd be pouring over your Bible for 15 minutes to try to find the sentence. This was just so the teachers could catch up on grading. No, because this was this was Sunday school, not my Christian school. Oh, okay. Um, we did this for half or more of Sunday school every week. Wow. So we ended up with a bunch of people who knew their Bible incredibly well, 
but I always felt myself to be in the second tier of people who were good at this. There were three or four folks who were clearly better than me at this, and I could name them all right now. (laughs) And then I was level two with a couple other people, and then everybody else was not as good as me. And I always felt this sense of I should be better, and it was not based on anything other than intellectual capacity, not studying the Bible. It was clearly the people who had the best memory or the people who had the best critical thinking skills. But, but it's that same thing. It's that sense of comparison. I ought to know this stuff. I'm the kid with the, that goes to Christian school. I'm the kid who's been following Jesus since he was whatever, two. I've been given all these opportunities. I ought to know this, and I don't. Mm. Or I'm not as good as X. And so I may have been reading the com- some of the comparison or the not measuring up from my own story into yours. Mm. But I remember that. And I remember the same thing that you were talking about as well. I remember in college reading Leonard Ravenhill, Why Revival Tarries. Did you ever read this? No, that sounds much more like your speed in college than mine. That is a Pentecostal book if ever there was one. Uh, yeah. And... The first chapter of the book basically says, why would you expect God to show up in your church if you don't pray for three hours a day? Like, I mean, that that is what it says. I'm not overstating it at all. Wow. And so I felt like, okay, that's what I should be doing because I'm not as good as Leonard Ravenhill. And there was a massive kind of subtext of you aren't measuring up. In the actual writing, it was deeply judgy. Mm. And I think Leonard Ravenhill was not the only place that judginess was built in to the language and conversation about Christianity. The Christianity I grew up in was deeply judgy about who was an insider and who was an outsider. It was deeply judgy about who was doing it right and who wasn't. And as I think about that, I think, well, if if that was the milieu I grew up in as my faith community, of course I spend most of the time thinking about Jesus, thinking about what I should be doing, because Mm. that was what spirituality was about. So for you, as you document your own journey to something other than should, and let me be frank, my own journey is still evolving. There's still a lot of should that lives in me. And I am happy with how much it is fading, but it is still something I wrestle with. But as you document your own journey, do you think it was simply a change in culture? Were you swimming in better waters, healthier waters? Or did something else help with your shift? Oh, it's so good. I remember the first moment I was confronted with this thought. And like you, I would not claim to have mastered this. I think this is a slow journey towards spiritual health, not a conversion towards spiritual health. Yeah. But my first experience with this was college. We had a chapel that had Brennan Manning at it. Do you remember this at all? 
this is the second time you've mentioned the fact that Brennan Manning came to our chapel and I don't think I was there. I don't know. Maybe it happened in your freshman year when I was not there, or maybe I was playing hooky that day. I don't know. Well, we both did end up getting this manager in the cafeteria job that got us out of chapel. So true. That tells us you everything you need to know about that. But I remember him telling this story about somebody that he knew, and the person that he knew had this giant banner over their living room couch, and the banner said, today I will not shoot on myself. And that was the first time I had ever heard that phrase. And Manning had this very different approach to relating to Jesus than anything I knew. Before that, I guess I had really begun to explore what grace was all about, what it meant for God's grace to be a major factor in my life. But that Brennan Manning moment was really transformative for me. What about you? Do you remember what started the journey for you? Yeah, I remember being in a men's small group and one guy sharing his testimony. So this is probably only about seven years ago. And he was sharing his testimony. And part of his story was, I mean, he'll he'll stay very plain. I did not trust God. I said Mm -hmm. I did, but I did not. And then he goes on to show how that manifests in his own life and whatnot. And that kind of caught me up to be asking myself, do I really trust God? And if not, why not? And, you know, I'm such a control freak and a striver and a doer. Am I willing to let my foot off the gas and just let God? And is that does that feel safe to me? And the answer is no. Uh, the answer is steadily becoming maybe, but uh, at the time it was a hard no. And I started wrestling with that and started wrestling with, okay, well, do I really even have a relationship with God? And what does that look like? And so I started spending time. I decided to stop all the shoulds. I didn't want to read my Bible if I felt like I should. I didn't want to pray if I felt like I should. I stopped all the shoulds. And the only thing I did was commit to praying my emotions to God once a day. And if that took two minutes, if that took five minutes, whatever, I was just going to share what I was feeling because I figured I needed to get to know God on a personal level and allow him to get to know me on a personal level if I was ever going to build trust. And for me, that's where it started. And God met me there and invited me. Like, I love this scene at the end of the last battle in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series. And some of these characters have, you know, gone to the other side. They're now in heaven and they meet Aslan there, who's, you know, a number of steps in front of them. And he leads them on and he keeps inviting them further up and further in, further up and further Mm -hmm. in. And I feel like my journey has been just that ever since. And it's just been yet another step and further on and further in. And almost imperceptibly, I I mean, only as I turn around and look back, can I name that? In fact, part of this is coming up because about three weeks ago or so, I met with my spiritual director and he asked me, how my summer has been and how, I don't know, just ask me how things were going. But I started reflecting on the journey that I've been on. 
over the last few years. And he just kept prodding and allowing that story to come out. And it was really amazing to reflect on my spiritual journey for the last five, six, seven years and realize how much further up and further in I've actually come without knowing it. And it's kind of a fun place to find yourself. So what's it like now being further up and further in than those early days when you decided to just pray your emotions to God? How has the view changed? In some ways, it hasn't changed from that very moment of just praying my emotions with God. Because in that moment, I think probably for the first time in my spiritual walk, it was just me and God. And it was me in an exploration with God. I was exploring myself, and I was exploring God, and I was allowing God to explore me. And in some ways, that is the glue that holds it all together. That's actually been the experience ever since, except now it's just more comfortable. And now I feel like I can take on some of those traditional spiritual shoulds, like prayer and Bible reading, etc., without it being a should. It is the next step, or it's the invitation to continue going further up and further in. And it's exciting, and it's intriguing, and it's a process of discovery that continues. I'm still exploring God. He's still exploring me. I'm still exploring me. And we're doing this together through these historical disciplines, if you will, shoulds, oughts, the things that we've always been taught are helpful, but I never really understood why they were helpful. And now I can mm -hmm. really experientially know how good and delightful they really are. So good. Well, and this is this is one of the key things for me that had to change. And I went through a, a process very similarly where I stopped doing all the spiritual stuff. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped praying. I just stopped. I was reading, boy, I wish I remembered who this was, but I read one book on spiritual habits several years ago where the author talked about how for a season, the change that they committed to, I think it was for like Lent or something, was they were going to pray one word a day and that was it. Oh, wow. And I might be misremembering exactly how that worked, but it was one word or three words. or It was like, again, it's that same idea of I'm going to let go for me. And I don't know if I'm hearing this in your story or if I'm resonating with it because I'm hearing it in my own. But what I needed on all those spiritual habits was a massive reframing. I picked up all these things that I ought to do to be a good Christian. Like, as stereotypical as that sounds, that's why I was doing them. I want to be a good Christian. Mm -hmm. That is not a deeply fulfilling reason to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, and again, coming back to this sort of sense of comparison with a standard, once you arrive, you just realize you got to get somewhere else. And then you arrive there and realize you got to get somewhere else. And so you're constantly chasing this good Christian thing. Mm. And there came a moment or a series. I embarked on a journey. Let's say that. I embarked on a journey in which I discovered that I had a tiny little bit of desire for Jesus. 
and I just picked something that I thought would help me connect with Jesus, and I didn't really care what it was. And it turned out that caused my desire for Jesus to grow, and so I did something more. And the spending time with Jesus stuff, which I spend a lot of time with just with Jesus these days, it all comes out of a, I just want to know him better, rather than an, I want to be a good Christian. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, it does because I have been living that same experience. I, I totally know what you're saying. So we both kind of radically shut down all of the things that we've been told all our whole life we should be doing. And mm-hmm. that seems like radical and scary advice to put out there on a podcast. Are we overdoing it? Where are the pitfalls in all of this? Well, you know, I think self-awareness is very valuable. And I think that by stopping our activity, we often discover our motives. And I think that's really what this is about. If you already know why you're doing stuff and you're doing it because you want to connect with Jesus, because Jesus matters, please don't stop. Ever. (laughs) Do whatever you can think of that'll help you connect with Jesus. It'll be great. Yeah. But I think for those of us who are in a situation where we're doing things, activities, habits, practices, and we honestly can't answer what is the desire that is driving this, I think stopping in order to give ourselves time to discover our own desires and motives is really valuable. I'm not sure there is a pitfall there or a downside. Yeah, maybe the only other one I would offer, because I mean, you gave a very blanket, open-ended statement, whatever you can think of that will connect you better with Jesus, do that. And I think I agree to that 99% of the way. The 1% is the wild hairs that somebody might have that are kind of outside the bounds of the true Christian faith. And I think that's where having a spiritual director, a spiritual friend, a pastor, a mentor, somebody in one of those capacities to help put some guardrails around what you're thinking about doing might be helpful. But beyond that, I 100% agree with what what you said about just find your motives and, well, and do that. And the other guardrail I would put in the trying stuff arena, try humbly, not dogmatically. Ooh. Don't try something and it works and therefore you become dogmatic about it. Try something and then be humble about it and then try it again and stay humble about it. Because, you know, so I I live and breathe and swim in the charismatic Pentecostal world where people are passionately trying to understand and figure out and hear the voice of God uh, on a whole different level. And lots of times I think people mess it up and I think it's okay. Try. It's okay. Yeah. You want to try something that's a little crazy? Please try it. Just don't become dogmatic about it. And I, I am cautious and I appreciate your caveat that these should be tried in the context of a, a group of spiritual wise counselors. But I'm pretty confident in all honesty that a lot of things seem like they work in the short term, but in the long term, it shakes out and it's mm. okay. I like that. I like the freedom that you're giving with all of that. 
that even if something doesn't work, in the end, I think the Holy Spirit's powerful enough to bring us back to center. Yeah, because even because at the end of the day, you try something, it doesn't work out. What are you going to end up being? Hungry for Jesus because that didn't work. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Again, as long as you're not dogmatic. Right. Well, and acknowledging the fact that whatever works today might not work six months from now, and that's fine. Just keep following Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah, this is something you had to really push me on uh, over the years. I cried so hard to be consistent in what I did in my time with Jesus. There is something in me that wants and aspires to the spiritual maturity that says, I've been reading three chapters of my Bible every day for the last six years. And I'm going to do the exact same thing today that I did yesterday. And I'm going to do the same thing tomorrow. And five years from now, I'm still going to be doing the same thing. And my time with Jesus is going to look exactly the same. Again, I think this turns into a should for me. And one of the things you've you've very gently but very intentionally pushed me on uh, over the years is this thing you just said that just because it works today doesn't mean it needs to work tomorrow. And if it's not working today, why do you want to do it again tomorrow? <laughs> um, and I have found myself as I gave myself greater flexibility in how I spend time with Jesus to become phenomenally more consistent in actually spending time with Jesus mm, because yes. it's actually meaningful. Right, right. Well, hey, I want to turn to the audience and say, I don't know where you're at on this should scale, but man, I hope and pray that you do not live out of should as long as I did. So if somebody you know would value this conversation and help move them a little bit closer to a healthy way of relating to God, please, please pass this on. Help others to learn from the path that we've been on and, and stayed on for far too long. We want to see people relating to God in really healthy, dynamic, positive, and delightful ways. So please share this. And then come join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and threads. We'd love to hear from you. What's your experience like? And what did we leave out that should still be here? Should. Should. Be here. Yeah, should. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's that word again, right? It's tricky. Yes. But Josh from Missouri, what else have you been thinking about? You know, I am reading this great book about coaching, and I was deeply struck by one of the points that it, it makes. It's about professional leadership coaching, and it's by a gentleman who was a pastor, uh, might still be a pastor for all I know, but he came across a verse that we've often heard, and it's John 14, 26, that says, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That's a fairly simple verse, right? Not yeah. simple, but it's a verse I'm assuming you've heard. Yes. As a pastor, he goes on to say, I was struck by the promise that the Holy Spirit will teach and remind. I thought it was my job as the leader of the church to teach and remind. Authority figures in my life had taught and reminded me, my parents, teachers, mentors, supervisors. My church had taught me to teach the truth and to confront error whenever I encountered it. 
I began to wonder what it would mean to take Jesus' instructions literally. How can I, as a leader who is responsible for others, not teach or remind? Because if I'm doing those things, am I trying to do the Holy Spirit's job? Hmm. And he goes on to make the argument that the power of great questions in a leadership role is that instead of teaching and reminding, you are simply giving the Holy Spirit the space to do his job (laughs) rather than trying to do it for him. Yes, man, 100%. And I love the way you said that with the, the power of a great question or the power of a great thought to chew on. Mm-hmm. You you go away and you wrestle with that for as long as it takes to to arrive at a really healthy spot that you wouldn't have gotten there in one conversation, in one reminder that made you just feel like you should do something. You get to wrestle that to the ground because that's like your little nugget to wrestle with with God. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I just loved that. I thought there was some really wise counsel there and a very counterintuitive and countercultural approach to leadership that is deeply theologically informed. But yeah. uh, what about you? What else have you been thinking about? Well, my thought dovetails right off of that. You know, we just got back from vacation together as families. And during that time, it was really fun. We spent a whole long car ride talking. Uh, well, primarily it was your wife and I, because I'm about to head into a counseling program, a KCREP accredited counseling program. And your wife happens to be a professor in a KCREP accredited counseling program. And so she was very intrigued about the program that I was heading into and my experience or my thoughts going into it and all of that. And in that conversation, she hit on something that was underdeveloped in me. And that is the, which it should be at this stage, which is my identity as a counselor. And she said, hey, your professors are really going to push you to start thinking about what is your identity as a counselor. And noticing that I hadn't fully articulated how my interest in pastoral ministry and my MDiv and my theological training and all of these ways of thinking that I've carried with me my whole life, how those are going to be integrated into a counselor identity, not a para-counselor identity, but like how I'm going to be as a a counselor. And then today, after I got back Mm -hmm. from camping, I went to the orientation at George Fox University, where I'm going to be doing my program. And I I went to the orientation and the very first speech that they gave was about the fact that by just stepping in the door, we have begun a new identity as counselors in training, that that was very, very big and it it mattered. and, And from here on out, we're going to be forming that identity. And that's just what I've been thinking about is what does that mean? How is that going to look in the future? How do I want it to look in the future? What does all of the theology stuff mean? And what part does it play? All of that is just sitting on me, waiting to be discovered. And I like the anticipation. I like being able to sit with that question. I like that I don't have to answer it right away. But I like that it's been framed for me, and I'm ready to engage that question. That's awesome. 
there is just something exciting and inspiring about knowing that you're going to go explore and discover, isn't there? Yes. I mean, that's the whole conversation we've been having today, right? Like, Yeah, absolutely. Yes, there is something very exciting about that exploration process. And I now know that that is the journey I'm, I'm now on. That's so cool. Well, in so many areas, further up and further in. <laughs> Which must mean that we're on to the Witch Josh question. And this week, That's awesome. I wish it was about C.S. Lewis today, but it is not. I know. Wouldn't that have been great? Which Josh has read more C.S. Lewis books? Uh, but maybe another day. Ooh. Uh, I know who the answer to that would be. I do. But another day. Today's Witch Josh question. Which Josh is bonsaiing a tree? Ooh. Before the episode, you asked if we could like shout the word bonsai. So go ahead. <laughs> bonsai! Bonsai! <laughs> yes! Okay, I feel so much more fulfilled. Uh, I don't even care what the answer is anymore. Okay, well then I'll talk to you next week. Okay, have a good one. All right, bye. And we're back with the answer to the Witch Josh question. <laughs> and the answer is me. I am bonsaiing a tree. That is such a fascinating hobby. And I actually want to learn how that works. So in general, you do nothing. Sounds like a great um, hobby. It's a great hobby. Um, my wife got me this bonsai tree for my birthday back in May. And actually, this particular type of tree, you aren't supposed to do any major trimming until about September. So I have watered it every single day since September, and that is about it. It had gorgeous flowers back early in the summer, and now it does not. And that's the whole story. It is, I think I've told you one of the words I, I want to, to really think about this year is slow. Bonsaiing a tree is a slow hobby. It isn't about what you do today. It's about what you do every day for the next 40 years. Yeah. Wow. That is awesome. It reminds me, I was just reading a book by Ruth Haley Barton about Sabbath and sabbatical. And she was talking about ideas to do on your sabbatical. And she was saying, so many different things can be a spiritual exercise. It really just depends on how you engage them. And are you engaging them with intentionality to connect with God through the process. And it sounds mm. like the way you're presenting this, bonsaiing a tree can be a way of connecting with God. Yeah, I absolutely think it could be. You know, it's fascinating that God is always moving at bonsai speeds, not McDonald's speeds. Mm. And I think... It opens us up to hear a different conversation with God. You know, if, if you slow speech down too much, it's unintelligible. And it may be that God is speaking too slowly all of the time, and we simply don't have the capacity to listen that slowly. And I think things like bonsaiing a tree help us have just a different perspective. But I'm only a few months into this, so I'm not sitting here having done this well for ages, but that is my working hypothesis. Okay. 
we will check back in 40 years to find the conclusion of the bonsai tree spiritual discipline. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Until then, are we on for next week? Absolutely. I can't wait. I'll talk to you then. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.